Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, your home for learning ways to attract more traffic to your website, generate more leads, convert more leads into customers, and build stronger relationships with your customers. And now, your hosts, Justin Johnson and Ken Franzen. Hey, 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 Neon Noise Nation. This is the Neon Noise Podcast, where we decode marketing and sales topics to help you grow your business. What's going on, everyone? This is Justin Johnson, and with me, I have my co-host, uh, Mr. Ken Franzen. Ken, how's it going today? Things are going great today, Justin. It is a almost 90 degree day here in, I would call it a late September. And I think there's records being set up here in the uh, southeast Michigan, northwest Ohio area for temperature. I think that was into a Detroit radio station where we blew, uh, I think it was something from the 1800s out of the water as far as uh, temperature wise goes. So it's very warm here, (laughs) at least for a couple days. And then the... uh, the coldness will start settling in. So we'll enjoy it while we have it. Looking forward to hearing from our featured guest today. We will be speaking with Ed Bennett. He is a former director of web and communications technology at the University of Maryland Medical System. Ed is known for being a generous member of the healthcare community, offering counsel and support to social media newcomers and experts alike. He built the hospital social network list, which is now an industry reference. Now a consultant that works with healthcare systems vendors and other healthcare organizations to develop business strategies for patient and client success. Ed, it's good to have you on today. Welcome to Neon Noise. Well, thank you, Justin. I appreciate the the opportunity to to be on the podcast and to uh, have a good conversation. Absolutely. Do me a favor and fill in the blanks on anything that I may have missed and share with us a little bit of detail about your background. (laughs) I started helping companies uh, with their first website and quickly realized that as, as well, I enjoyed building websites. That's always fun. Uh, I really enjoyed the process of helping the companies figure out how to use web at a strategic level. Uh, what are the different types of things that they could be doing with web technology, uh, this new thing called email, uh, things of that nature, that would really impact their business in a positive way. And then I learned very quickly how to help them, not help guide them through uh, the stuff that was important uh, and uh, help them figure out how to ignore the stuff that was getting a lot of uh, of uh, a buzz, but really didn't matter to their business. And in 1999, I joined the University of Maryland Medical System and basically built their uh, digital program, uh, their website, and uh, then lots of things that were first in the industry. Uh, I was the first hospital to do uh, paid search. Uh, we were the first hospital to have a uh, app about six months after the iPhone was launched. Uh, we were one of the first hospitals to be on Facebook and uh, Twitter and, and start using social media platforms. Uh, so a lot of experience uh, on that side of the fence uh, over a course of about 17 years of building digital programs, managing them, and of course working with lots of vendors, uh, big and small. Uh, so I have a lot of have a lot of experience of what it's like on the other side of the of the desk there, uh, and I hope that I can uh, help uh, your audience uh, a little have a little better understanding of what's going on. Uh, at the hospitals. Ed, your focus is healthcare, and I'm taking that uh, you've chosen this niche for your your current business because of your background with um, that you have there, and, and, and it sounds like some of the pioneering efforts that you made as uh, as the new things came out, you were quick to adopt. But back up, why? why why healthcare? I mean, the background makes sense, but why continue healthcare? Why not open this up wider to, to other industries? And then what benefits do you find being focused on a niche market? Well, it, there's 
sort of the obvious benefits. Uh, this is what I've done for the last 20 years. I have a pretty good network of people. Uh, I know a lot of people. A lot of people know of me. Uh, it's fairly easy to reach out to folks and get them to return my call. Uh, but at a very, very fundamental level, I just like the whole environment of healthcare. It's It's one of those industries where at its very root, you're helping people. It's it's a good thing. Bottom line, I like the industry and I like the people in it. Now, if if I come across or someone reaches out to me from another industry and, and I feel that I can help them, I, I certainly would be open to that. Okay. When you're talking about healthcare systems, hospitals, uh, they're typically very complex organizations. To get in there, let's say I'm a commercial HVAC contractor trying to... Um, gain the the trust uh, so that maybe I could potentially be a preferred vendor of the healthcare system. What advice could you give listeners on how to begin working with larger organizations like a healthcare system? Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, and the there is no easy quick way uh, to to break into it. The approach that is going to be the most effective is the approach of trying to seek out and build relationships. I also think that there is there is a pretty clear line between uh, some of the projects that can get approved quickly and some that can't. Uh, every organization is different. Uh, I can tell you that uh, the number, the, the do- dollar figure that was at my organization was right around $50,000. Anything under that, uh, there were ways of getting a, a vendor in, setting up a project without going through the full red tape. Anything over that, you had the full RFP process, uh, you know, and you were looking at uh, typically six months to a year for a decision to be made. Uh, so kind of understanding where those boundaries are uh, might help uh, you figure out where, where's, what kind of project are most effective for you to pitch. Sure. So if I were able to establish what that threshold was, what would be, would, would it be the best, my best interest to establish a relationship with you directly in some capacity? Yes. There are many times will be champions inside the hospital who have a good reputation, who are respected and who are seen as kind of the leaders inside the hospital and are listened to. And they may not be on the org chart where you expect them to be. And that's, that's, that can be very difficult to sort out from the outside. I typically recommend that if you're targeting a hospital, or this could actually apply to any other large organization, find the conferences. Um, those are the kind of folks who are typically or a little bit more on the cutting edge. And I would find, I'd, I'd look at those folks as maybe ones to reach out to. Okay, great. Now, is there is there an element of, uh, is, it, is it connecting on a professional level, or is there still that uh, old school schmoozing, steak dinners, scotch cigars type thing that goes a long way? You know, I never got scotch and cigars in the 17 years. So I, was, I, I must have been doing something wrong because I, I never, never got a cigar, that's for sure. I think I think maybe I had a drink once in a while. But there is, I think, a lot of opportunity for uh, education. And this is where the vendors who successfully connected with me and got me uh, got my attention were the ones who on, you know, an, an initial, you know, after the initial contact, were giving me really helpful information about a particular topic. They were on a regular basis piquing my interest because they would be talking about an issue that I maybe wasn't aware of and was giving me very helpful information uh, that helped me make better decisions and made me look good inside, inside the hospital. So that kind of knowledge transfer 
uh, really helps with uh, setting credibility. And there's also the delicate balance of how often do you reach out uh, in the initial stages. For every person, it's different. Um, I had uh, some people that uh, were just very clumsy about it and were just doing the, you know, the, the, the full marketing pitch as if they were selling me a vacuum cleaner and trying to close the deal. Um, others were, were came to this recognizing that they may not get any business from me for two or three years, which is not unusual in healthcare. But they, they decided that uh, they wanted to invest in this relationship. And for a lot of them, uh, I, I, I did business with them, and sometimes faster than two or three years. Okay. Now, what about this situation with the, with the RFQs? Uh, or RFPs, depending on which industry you're in. Those are the larger projects. I know that we get presented with those uh, on occasion, and oftentimes we politely decline to bid on it. And the reason that we choose not to is likely because we don't have a, a pre-existing relationship with someone there at that organization. And maybe it's uh, wrong for me to say this, but I feel like I might be just bid two or three in their required three bid process. And I don't have uh, a snowball's chance at the business unless I present something that is shockingly awesome. I'd say a good percentage of the time, uh, there, uh, an organization will have a clear uh, leader in mind. Uh, but I do have to say that there were many, many times where we had three or four possible choices, and it really did come down to the RFP and, more importantly, the, the, the in-person demos uh, before we honed in on the, uh, the, the, the company we wanted to do business with. I think the more that you can take advantage of that discovery phase, uh, typically they're going to call you if they're, again, if they're interested and let, and, and try to get as much background information as you can, um, the better chances you have that this is a, a real, a real RFE process and you have a shot. Um, I, that's also the, the time to cultivate your, um, your relationship with the, uh, the person running the RFP, uh, to, they usually have rules about what kind of contact you can have, but that's where that's the time to uh, start to really demonstrate your industry knowledge and your ability to uh, give give uh, advice and uh, provide feedback and, and, and references, etc. Uh, that will uh, make you look, uh, you know, much more uh, favorably by them. Great advice. That's always it's nice to talk to someone that's been on the opposite side of that process. Finally, almost for my personal curiosity, because my you validated some of my hunches, but then I look back at uh, some of the ones I might have turned down and perhaps I could have or should have explored that opportunity a little bit more, took advantage of that uh, discovery session and to establish some rapport. Maybe I would have uh, had a more than a snowball's chance. I agree. I, I would I would never put the effort into responding to an RFP that came to you cold without a couple of good, solid phone calls or face-to-face -face meetings if that if that's possible um, and I'm talking you know a good 30 minutes to an hour a couple of those where you can really drill in to what the why they're doing this RFP what's the background what are the major pain points what problem are they trying to solve 
mean, there's a dozen questions you could ask that are not covered by the RFP. And that kind of background information uh, is uh, really important and will help you decide whether you feel that it's, uh, it's a good investment of your time or not. As someone who was on the other side, I had several calls like that from, from vendors that were on the list. I remember one in particular who was very helpful, was uh, very respectful, but we spent a couple of hours in total talking about what this, why we're doing this. And at the end of it, they, they called me up and said, you know, this has been great, but we don't think we're the right fit and we're not going to respond to the RFP. I have a lot of respect for that. And I kept them in line for future projects. Question for you, Ed, what uh, on, your, on your website and some of the things that I've read online about you, you have something called hospital support sponsored, excuse me, hospital sponsored support groups. What are they? Uh, just a little background. I've sort of became known in the industry because back in 2009, I set up a list of hospitals that had social media accounts. Um, back then, it was very controversial. Uh, hospitals in general block social media for both their patients and for their workers. And uh, there was this really bad negative opinion about hospitals doing social media. Just not appropriate, uh, not, uh, not in keeping with the seriousness of what we do, uh, what a ridiculous notion that we would have a Facebook account, and so forth. So, But there were some hospitals that were doing it. And there were many, many more people like me inside hospitals that were fighting to, to get their hospital to adapt, adopt social media. So the list was built as a way of helping those people uh, because uh, the biggest motivator for hospital executives to do something is when they see that other hospitals sure. are doing it. <laughs> so that list was a tool for those, those folks to use. Um, I started with about 100 hospitals and about, you know, 200 social media accounts. And by the time I was done with the list, we were up to, I don't know, 1,500 hospitals and 6,000 social media links. Uh, so the industry really started to adopt it, and it was, uh, it was a fairly quick turnaround. Um, as I have been doing, working with other vendors as a consultant, I've been looking at other types of lists that I could maintain that would... Um, Use that could possibly have the same effect. And one of those lists is the one you mentioned, which is hospital-sponsored patient support groups. And this is essentially uh, uh, something as simple as a Facebook group page. Uh, there's also uh, lots of other uh, platforms where you can have uh, a, 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 you know, kind of a group, social media group, uh, but it's not on Facebook. It's this other platform. There's a uh, company that I work with that has a really fantastic mobile app for patient communities. Uh, but the, the unifying factor on everything that's on that list is that the hospital has publicly sponsored the group and is actively supporting it. Uh, so they have a clinical person uh, at some level, usually it's a nurse practitioner, um, and sometimes it's a doctor, uh, who is uh, sort of the admin and monitoring the group and stepping in to answer questions and clarify, excuse me, clarify things that come up. Uh, but the uh, the group is there, and with the uh, with under the uh, sponsorship and name of the hospital in question. And hospitals that are doing this uh, have found uh, some pretty amazing benefits uh, for the patients and for themselves. Uh, the first big benefit is that the uh, the folk and, and see in general the the groups are are usually 
uh, focused on a particular condition. So the first group I set up at the University of Maryland was for liver transplant patients. And so these are folks that have a very serious medical condition. Uh, they are going to be on anti-rejection uh, re drugs for the rest of their life. Uh, these are serious drugs. They have side effects, et cetera. So there's, there's, there's an ongoing medical condition and need that they have. And the, um, the group we set up was a secret closed Facebook group, and it was run by uh, the nurse practitioner who was doing the traditional face-to-face, real-life support stuff where people every quarter, every three months, they would drive into the hospital, have some coffee and donuts, sit around in a circle, and, and, talk, and talk to each other for a couple of hours. Uh, she said, she came to me and said, why can't we do this on Facebook? And I said, we should do it on Facebook, and we set it up. Um, she has been doing this now for almost 10 years and has, um, has, found, <clears throat> has found some very interesting benefits. First of all, the patients are doing all the normal support stuff where they're supporting each other emotionally, and, with, uh, uh, and that, that is a, a very a positive factor in the control of their, uh, their condition. Uh, but for her as a clinician, uh, the patients that are active in the support group, when they come in for their regular, you know, checkups, arrive fully educated about what's going on. And she also has a good sense of what their particular situation is because she's been active in the social media community. And she says the time that I spend with them now uh, on their clinical appointment is much more efficient. And we can really drill down and focus into their particular issues, uh, talk about things that would not be appropriate in the social media platform. Uh, but they come in fully educated, and I can, I can skip a lot of the stuff that I would normally have to do and just really drill down into the stuff that's important. That's an amazing leverage of social media that I would have never really considered. And I could see the, how beneficial that is for that face-to-face that -face time. Yeah, and there's, and there's things like, you know, uh, particularly when you have a tight community around a single condition, something will pop up on the news saying there's a new XYZ study that says if you do this, you're going to die if you have this condition, you know, the, the normal stuff that happens out there. And she can, uh, the uh, nurse practitioner will typically, she'll log in in the morning and she'll see the group talking about the latest report. And some of them might be very concerned and some of them might be, you know, uh, 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 skeptical about it. And there have been more than one occasion where she'll, she'll say, hey, I just heard about this report that was in the New York Times. I'm going to reach out to the head of our practice and get his take on it or her take on it. I'll be back to you in a couple of hours. She comes back in a couple of hours and she says, I talked to Dr. Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith says, don't worry about this. We know about it. It's not something that we, we are freaked out about. And uh, if you're concerned, here's some Here's some material that we know is, is legit to read about. If you're really concerned, please call us. We'll talk to you. Uh, but, you know, this is the information you need. And in general, so there'll be two or 300 people that initially woke up, kind of freaked out about something they read in the news. And within, you know, four or five hours, they've been reassured by the medical experts they trust. How important is that? <laughs> you know, that's unbelievably important. Unbelievable. And that's the, that's, that's the type of thing Absolutely. where... The power of social media is really demonstrated, and it has nothing to do with selling stuff. Uh, it has everything to do about having uh, proper communication tools in place and a 
uh, in an environment that has already been put in place where there's a trust has built up. And when you have that, you can do all sorts of things like I just described. Absolutely. And even think uh, if all two, 300 of those people tried calling in for clarification or fielding that just the communication, because yeah, I mean, between the doom news that we're, we're dealing with where bad news is the only news they report anymore it, to have a condition that is then uh, being re- reported on with something that, that strike likely strikes fear through just about anyone um, to have that come through clarification is just for the, the sake of comfort is, is paramount. I mean, if you try Googling anything, you know, you have a cough or a sneeze or a sniffle. I mean, if you search hard enough, you're definitely uh, headed to the grave because of all the different advice out there. So, so as they say on, on house, it's lupus. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so these support groups just sound uh, fantastic. And so th- I, I imagine that they're available for an unbelievable or an unknown amount of uh, different types of, of individuals. Patient support groups have, have been around since, I mean, really the early 90s when email first took off. There was a cancer email list that was uh, populated. What is fairly new is the hospital-sponsored patient support group. And my list has, I think, maybe 25 or so. There's probably another 25 that I haven't found uh, yet. But that's still only 50 out of the tens of thousands of support groups that are out there. Uh, so there is a, uh, a really big opportunity for clinicians uh, to uh, either set up their own group or maybe volunteer to, um, to provide clinical uh, background information on an existing group. Uh, but uh, lots of opportunity for hospitals to make a difference. Awesome. Now, what there's a, I think there's another list you have noted. It uh, is your physician transparency list. Yeah, this this is kind of my favorite list because I, I it it dovetails into web technology and data and advertising, and it sort of brings the whole package together. Um, everyone's used to uh, Yelp and ratings and you know the review sites where you can leave feedback and so forth. The hospitals across the country have something called the HCAPS survey. I, I can't even pronounce what the, whole, what the whole acronym means, but essentially if you've ever been treated at a hospital uh, or had an appointment with your doctor who's at a hospital, uh, you will usually get a follow-up survey in the mail, uh, like usually three weeks later, where you fill out the survey about the, um, your experience, uh, what was the, uh, in sort of the quality of the service and so forth. And all this data, and, it, and then there's some surveys that are done by phone and some where you can do it by email, but they're all asking the same questions. All hospitals by law have to ask the same questions. And this data is, is pulled together and collated and is actually one of the factors about how much money hospitals get from Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, so your satisfaction score, the quality score, your opinion of, you know, all that gets rolled up and can actually Im- Im- impact the bottom line of a hospital in a, in a pretty, uh, pretty big way, millions of dollars. So hospitals have been doing this for about six or seven years at least, and they've been sitting on this enormous trove of feedback, star ratings, comments, uh, that generally has been used in, for internal purposes. Uh, they have to do it by government regulation, but there's this wealth of data, and they're using this data to identify 
uh, problem areas. If everyone's complaining about the parking or everyone's complaining about the cafeteria food or what have you, or even, even identifying uh, problematic doctors or practices if there's issues that will arise for at that level and going in and helping to fix it. What's relatively new is that hospitals, some hospitals have started to publish this on the hospital's physician directory on their website. Uh, so uh, that list is tracking the hospitals that are doing this. Uh, this is a huge game change for, for healthcare. Um, very difficult for doctors to, uh, the vast majority of, well, let's say, I'm not going to say the vast majority, a significant segment of the doctors r really oppose this. Uh, they hate the idea that they're being treated like uh, a product on Amazon where people give star ratings and feedback. Um, however, patients love it, and the hospitals, once they, they get the buy-in from the doctors, they love it too, because as soon as you put those star ratings and those comments on each one of the doctor's profiles in their Find a Doctor section of their website, the rankings for those doctors on Google go through the roof. There are so many uh, examples where I have, I've, uh, excuse me, I've, I've, know, I've heard that a hospital is getting ready to do this, and I've done some before and after where I'll, I'll look at, you know, uh, 10 doctors' names, I'll search for them on Google, uh, and usually before they do this, they may show up in third-party sites like health grades and vitals and things of that nature, but the hospital's website isn't on the first page of results. Once they start doing it, the hospital's website is the number one result, and uh, they start getting huge amounts of traffic that, never, that they never received before. So it's a big win for uh, the hospital marketing folks. Um, it's actually a big win for the doctors because uh, the vast majority of doctors uh, and the vast majority of experiences that people have at hospitals are positive. Uh, and that's, that's reflected in the data. If you go to my list and you click through and you look at some of the hospitals that are doing it, you'll see that in general, people are very happy with the experience. As an industry, we tend to look at the, and worry about the negative. And that's the right thing to do if you're a surgeon or, or, you know, or you're a clinical person. You focus on what the bad outcomes could be, make sure that they don't happen, and you're constantly aware of that. Um, but it also is nice to take step back a bit and look at the big picture and say, you know what, 98% of the people who rated this doctor gave this doctor uh, between three and a half and four stars, and only you know 0.2% of them had were dissatisfied. That's not an unusual thing, and um, it's kind of nice to see that uh, when you when you step back and look at that big picture. You had mentioned that earlier that. Uh to get buy-in from the doctors to get through the process. So is that typically something that the hospital has to, to get them all on board? Because it seems to me that they could just put it out there and say, Hey, we're going to allow patients to judge you. So here's the sort of inside scoop about hospital systems. And, and, and it's also the inside scoop about the entire United States healthcare system. There is no single system. Um, what there is, is a collection of hundreds of thousands of small businesses. So that surgeon who did uh, your knee replacement, that surgeon is a small businessman and has a deal, some sort of uh, understanding or deal with the orthopedic practice that he's part of. That orthopedic practice is a independent business and has a deal with the hospital uh, a contract with the hospital to use their facilities and contract and, uh, and, and, and work there. 
So there's all these small businesses that have sometimes competing business goals, all trying to work under the umbrella of a single hospital system. And that's the type of thing that can really trip you up as an outside businessman trying to figure out when I sell something to this person, who am I actually selling it to? There is a trend uh, across the, across the industry for doctors to become employed physicians of a hospital. They get a regular paycheck. They're employed by the hospital. They're not an independent contractor anymore. And so one of the things I would look for when you're a small businessman or, or any business and you're trying to get a handle on how a hospital is set up, find out what is the percentage of doctors that there who are employed physicians. In general, the higher that percentage, the more like a regular business the hospital is. Uh, because if all of your doctors are employed physicians, then you can make a decision that we're going to do this and they can't really push back. Um, but they can if they're, if they're an independent contractor. Does that make sense? No, that makes absolute sense. And that's some insight okay. that I wasn't aware of. So thank you for sharing that. But even, even in those cases, the doctors are a very well-respected, important vocal segment. So if even in the case of employed physicians in this particular situation with the transparency, if enough doctors said, we really hate this, and this is a dissatisfier for us, that could, that could, that could slow things down. So for something as radical as this, and believe me, the whole idea of posting ratings and comments on the hospital's website was a radical idea. And that has to come from the very top. It has to be the CEO saying we're doing this. More importantly, it has to be the chief medical officer of that facility who the doctors basically all report to or look up to who says we are doing this. This is important. This is part of my mission here at the hospital. I want everybody on board. And of course, the ironic thing is that once it happens, and our doctors all see that the vast majority of comments are positive. They love it. <laughs> and they love that they're number one on Google without uh, having to buy ads or anything. So it's uh, it's getting over that hump for this particular uh, initiative that's so important. And I would think that as more adopt and they can see what the outcome from others has been, then it's probably going to be a little bit easier yeah. to accept. It'll be easier, right? It, it's This is just like trying to get folks to adopt social media. Uh, back in 2010, a lot of caution, very conservative, and that's why new ideas take uh, take much longer to uh, take hold in this industry than in others. There's a report online, the, uh, the state of digital marketing in healthcare. Uh, you had uh, made reference to it on Twitter at one point. And in the report, it talks about Facebook being... It says Facebook's the main social media marketing channel used by 80% of hospitals, which I found very interesting, followed by Twitter at 77% and YouTube at 74%. So let's talk, you had mentioned the, the, the private groups, but talk a little bit about, because you just said how conservative they are and social media, I think is something that still a lot of businesses out there aren't quite sure how to use even today, right? how hospitals are using social media. And then why is Facebook the leader here? Well, it's, it's kind of, the answer to that is, is pretty straightforward. It's the leader there because it's the leader of social media. I mean, the, the number of uh, active members on Facebook blows away everything else. Uh, 
I don't I don't have the numbers at my fingertips, but I know if you compare the numbers of active users on Facebook to Twitter, uh, you might wonder why anybody does anything on Twitter. There's it's, it's sure. much smaller. So Facebook is number one with healthcare and, and hospitals because Facebook is number one with every industry. <laughs> and if if you're gonna and the other part of it is that all hospitals in general have limited budgets to do any of these activities. Uh, so if you're going to do it, uh, you, you better focus on Facebook first. Uh, if you've got some resources and time left over, then you can look at some of the other uh, social media platforms. So the answer to that, I think, is pretty straightforward. Sure, sure. So then how, how are what are some of the ways though, that these healthcare systems uh, hospitals are using these social platforms? I think of like YouTube and I'm thinking, okay, are they just re- are they are they just displaying on YouTube their YouTube channel the commercials they air on the local TV stations or are they specially made segments videos for YouTube? Okay, uh, let's talk about let's talk about the big three: Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Facebook channels and Facebook pages are now seen as equally important as your own public website, and that's because large majority of folks will, when they say, I, I want to check out what's the story about this hospital. I, I think I might need, I need, I know I need to go in for some elective surgery. I got to pick which hospital I want to go to. I got to pick a doctor or I have a doctor, but I want to learn more about the hospital he's sending me to. For a large number of folks, their first thought is I'll go to Facebook and see what their Facebook page says. It's not, I'll go to Google, find their website, go to their website. So just basic information about who we are, what we do, what we're all about, how you can contact us, all that stuff. The stuff that you would normally have on your public website, you need to have a subset of that stuff on your Facebook page. So, so just basic grounding information so people that are brand new to you can, can get oriented. The step up from that is using Facebook as a tool to uh, disseminate information, uh, to respond to things that are in the news, uh, very typical uh, uh, activity will be for the marketing department to be aware of big medical news that's going on, or maybe it's um, a, a major celebrity was uh, was diagnosed with a particular type of cancer. Uh, those types of things, when they're really big stories, uh, they will typically go to Facebook and say, this is in the news. Uh, Dr. Smith is the expert on that particular condition, and uh, he shot a five-minute video talking about this and what you, what you should know about it. Or here's an article that uh, we posted on our blog six months ago, uh, but everything is still relevant, and we're posting it on, on Facebook for you. Uh, so they'll use that as an educational channel. Uh, the third way that they'll use Facebook is to start building and attracting uh, communi uh, communities of people who have not needed a hospital yet. So things like sports medicine, um, weight loss, exercise, uh, there are lots of different activities and, uh, and services that they can start talking about on their Facebook page. Uh, one hospital that I know uh, it was in Nova Hospital down in Virginia, uh, this was years ago, and they did a, uh, an entire program called um, uh, Fit Fit, to, fit for 50, where it was targeted to folks that were over the age of 50, and they had 50 days of, um, of educational information and exercise tips and, and so forth that was hosted by a local uh, sports celebrity. 
And they built up a following of people on Facebook who joined in to do the exercise or whatever the activity was each day. They got their email addresses, and then they tracked these people over the course of about a year and a half and determined that, uh, and determined, and these were all folks, folks they tracked were all folks who had never been to their hospital before. So brand new, uh, brand new people. They tracked how many came in for services over the course of of the next year and a half and determined that the investment they made in in this program uh, greatly paid for itself over over the next couple of years. Uh, so those are some of the things that you'll see uh, hospitals doing on Facebook. Uh, they're getting a little more sophisticated about it, uh, and it's still you know, the platform of choice. In the marketing for hospitals, healthcare systems, do you see the trend starting to rise from traditional means over to digital? Uh, definitely. Uh, it's very slow. Uh, the There is um, still a um, segment of uh, of, of folks, especially physicians who want to see their face on a billboard as they drive into work. Uh, one, one really good thing about physicians is that they respect data. And so if you can, if you can sit down and show with data that the money spent on the billboard to that dedicated 800 number that you know, no one else, that tracking 800 number brought in X number of patients, the same amount of money brought in 10 times that much when we did it on Facebook or, or, Google AdWords or whatever, they typically, they see the data, they respect it. And, uh, that's, that's usually the, the process that you have to go through. There is, uh, much more of a movement to digital spending because the cost is so low compared to traditional forms of, of advertising and the, the ability to micro target is, well, I mean, it's, it's fundamental and hospitals are you know, one of the industries where they have to take every, every per, any person that shows up at the hospital in the ER, they treat. So it's every different segment of the population, uh, based, based on age, income, uh, ethnic background. Uh, it's a, it's just a completely open, unified, uh, or what's the right word, the uh, homogenous group that's coming in. But these folks have hundreds of different issues and conditions. So the opportunity to micro-target a particular group only exists in the social media and digital platforms. It's a, it is amazing how pinpointed you can get with digital. So Ed, I have to ask you, you your, your, your background is, is amazing and some of the, the pioneering that you've done. There's a lot of firsts that you've done. And with that had to come with some, hey, I I see trends coming down the line. I see things coming in the future that are applicable. And now you can. Now you're going to ask me what the future is. I want to know what the lotto numbers are tonight. No, I. I, (laughs) I'd like to really see what you're working on right now. What what you're really excited about what's going on right now. And then maybe, yeah, what what do you think uh, is coming down the line that maybe not particularly just for healthcare, but overall that that has you excited? And I'm not not asking predictions, but just (laughs) what you has has you very excited. Um, Well, what I'm working on now is a, a new service that I'm putting together for, for the industry, the healthcare industry, the, and especially the marketing, digital communications folks, uh, which is going to be a vendor directory. Uh, I, I snagged the uh, domain uh, martech.health. Uh, there is a top-level domain called .health that uh, I researched, and these guys, I think, are doing the right thing. Um, but it's going to be a very deep resource for the healthcare marketing folks yeah, uh, there will also be, of course, be opportunities for 
uh, hospital clients to provide star ratings and feedback on the vendors. And I believe that will be a very important uh, part of, of the value of the uh, vendor of the directory because so many, um, there are so many technologies that are popping up. It is very hard for the people inside to keep track of this stuff. I'm going to provide a lot of educational material uh, for each of the categories so they can understand uh, and, and like, and template uh, RFP questions. Here are the questions you should ask of a particular vendor in this category and so forth. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, hopefully it'll make me a little money and I can, I can uh, live on that for a while. Uh, but I'm really excited about to, about bringing something of, of substantial value to, to my, uh, my industry. Uh, so that's what I'm working on now uh, and look for that probably towards the beginning of next year. Very interesting. Hey, Ed, what is the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? Well, if they, if they just Google Ed Bennett, they'll probably find me. I'm at uh, ebennett.org, uh, although I'm also launching a new website called edbennett.health uh, in, in a, probably next year. Um, but that's the easiest way. Uh, just go to ebennett.org. If you're on Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is uh, 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 Ed Bennett, and uh, I love to talk to new folks on the phone. I love that kind of networking. And so uh, if you reach out to me, uh, be prepared for me to say, hey, can we just take this to the phone for a nice 10-minute phone call and uh, and do that. Uh, and I, I welcome talking to anybody, uh, any of your listeners who, who wants to learn more. Beautiful. Hey, before we say goodbye, if you had one piece of parting advice for our listening audience, what would they be? Uh, be patient. Uh, be patient with the folks inside the healthcare industry. They're working really hard. They're trying to juggle so many complicated things. Uh, but once you get in the door with uh, and get a client inside one of these organizations uh, and you do a good job, you're there for life. Because uh, yeah, if you prove yourself to an organization like health, a healthcare organization, they're, gonna, they're going to reward that with loyalty to you. And uh, uh, so although it looks uh, it looks kind of daunting with the amount of time that it takes to close the deal. Uh, I believe uh, for the most part, it's, it's worth it. So true. So, so true. Neon Noise Nation, we hope you enjoyed the conversation today with Ed. Be sure to go over and check out his website at www.ebennett.org. Ed, thanks again for being on the show today. The show notes from today will be available at neongoldfish.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, this is Justin, Ken, and Ed signing off. Neon Noise Nation, we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Neon Noise Podcast. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, please subscribe, share with a friend, or write a review. We want to cover the topics you want to hear. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like Justin and Ken to cover, connect with us on Twitter at Neon Goldfish or through our website at neongoldfish.com.